1: Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to RotoWire signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman twenty two. My co host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes twenty four. He's now back in his co host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. And I don't mind telling you, AJ, I was really jealous about the backdrop in cottage country that you enjoyed last week, (laughs) but uh, on the plus side, another sunny day here, and I understand the weather's been good where you are, but uh, I don't want to talk about weather. I want to talk about the sporting scene, of course, and I want to talk about soccer, because you're a soccer guy, and you're closer to what's going on there than I am in the Euro Leagues, and uh, from what I see, the experience in this restart has gone rather well, giving me optimism to feel that the same thing could happen in the hockey world uh, in the coming weeks. So what can you tell me about the experience of, of the European soccer restart? Has it gone well?
0: I think so. I mean, the, the Bundesliga just wrapped up their season. They were the first ones. Uh, that's that's German soccer, for, for those of you that aren't uh, really affiliated with that. But um, they re- restarted uh, almost two months ago. They were able to finish off their season. Uh, and so I you know they didn't have a large number of cases that that popped up I I think there were a handful here or there Um, and I I do think it's a it's a point of optimism that it it can be done properly and safely Um, you know the the one thing that I've seen talked about is the fact that you know the leagues you know Major League Baseball has seen some cases the NHL came out with their latest news on on cases yesterday and Uh, The thing is, those aren't sports that have started back up. So the teams aren't already in these kind of high quarantine levels. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, the the countries over in Europe were a little bit more uh, strict than we were here in the U.S. Uh, You know, I think even Canada has been more strict than we have been here in the U.S. So um, there's certainly uh, some hiccups there as things have started to open up uh, a little bit. But I think we saw. Uh, a league that did it right and there's lessons that can be learned there and that's been expanded spain is back playing england is back playing um and uh, italy is playing as well so we're seeing these major countries open back up to soccer no fans obviously um but it's nice to have something to watch on the tv saturday and sunday mornings that's for sure
1: absolutely partner and uh, that gives me hope for uh, hockey to resume but The hub city options are dwindling. Vancouver dropped out because they are just overly concerned about the incidence of of, uh, these infections rising with the influx of people and players coming into their city. And uh, they're concerned about the control issue there. So they're putting medicine first ahead of sport. But uh, five other cities still remain in contention, including the two Canadian cl- clubs in, in Edmonton and Toronto. And then uh, in, the, in the States, it's looking like uh, a Western hub is most likely. And Vegas leads the pack there, ahead of Los Angeles and Chicago uh, are the five, teams, uh, five cities that still remain in contention for hub city status. I'm certainly lobbying hard for Toronto to get the Duke, uh, at least in the Eastern Conference, they're the lone eastern city that remains uh, in in the running so i like their chances of uh the games being played here half the games being played here but in the states uh, i'm a little bit concerned what's happening in las vegas and uh, and we got to consider that situation because I know the NHL would love to have Las Vegas as a hub city with all the hotels near the arena. It makes total sense in that regard. But the high incidence of infection certainly has kept Edmonton in the running as a Western possibility. What do you say about those circumstances?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's certainly, uh, you know, the that you can't just dive into to wherever you do have to be aware of of what's going on and again i think that's what we saw over uh in in europe and so it, it made sense um for for them to they didn't do hub cities that's the one kind of interesting thing they still traveled um to opposing teams uh venues and, and played in in home venues so i think it's it's interesting from that standpoint uh you know i i as far as I'm concerned, as somebody who lives in Wisconsin, we don't have our own NHL team here in Wisconsin. Uh, we have the AHL team out of Milwaukee. So uh, we weren't getting games here in Wisconsin either way. So I just want it back on TV, right, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Though it would be interesting to see uh, both uh, hubs end up in Canada and then, you know, Canada failed to have a team win the Stanley Cup for, I don't know, what is it, 20 years now since a Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup, Paul? Uh, some,
1: it's twenty. It's since 1993, and I don't want to even name the team that won it that year. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know what? Uh, l- this past week, there was some hockey news with the draft lottery. And uh, I'm thinking that the end result kind of blew up in the faces of, of the organizers of this whole process because an unnamed team is still going to get uh, that first overall pick. Why don't you explain what happened there, AJ? I mean, the the top eight contenders for for the top draft pick, none of them got it, but a team that will be in the playoffs is going to get it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting how they how they formatted everything um, for our listeners that that weren't aware. To try and sum it up quickly, um, the losers of those play-in games, they're technically not counting them as as playoff games. So those best of five play-in series. Those losing teams will all end up in a second lottery with a chance to, I believe it's an equal chance across the board um, to win. Now we know the number one overall pick and it certainly could have been, uh, you know, I think the nightmare scenario for the league would have been if all three of the top picks had ended up uh, with these placeholder spots. Uh, you got to feel bad for Detroit, yeah. who goes into it with the best odds of winning the number one overall pick and doesn't even get one of the top three. They end up in fourth. Um, just very interesting. And I think now that we're at this point, the next nightmare scenario for, for the league is that Pittsburgh or Edmonton would lose potentially their first round. And then one of those teams <laughs> would end up with the first overall pick i don't think they want to see lafreniere go play with mcdavid or crosby uh anytime soon i'm certainly not hoping for that i'd rather have my team win another stanley cup here um but it's it's an interesting situation to to watch with these play-in games
1: yeah and i mean if if montreal loses that first round as many expect they will can you imagine if lafreniere winds up in uh in montreal's hands that would be a bonanza for for that team that has not had things go right for quite a while and has been struggling to make the playoffs they need some good news and that would be about the best that I can forecast for the Maple Leafs arch rival AJ the final thing I want to talk about before we get into the the nuts and bolts of our show this week is the possibility of a flat salary cap over the next two seasons that's really going to create havoc for almost every team uh, as we've seen in the series of of columns that you and Kyle have written on the rotowire website for for the salary situations for all the clubs a flat cap means that uh, players contracts that are coming up in the next two years for some of the top players on the different teams I don't know how they're going to resign them look at the situation in Toronto that I talked to you about before we went to air Morgan Riley and Freddie Anderson two of the linchpins of the Maple Leafs team are coming up for renewal and they're already hard up against the, the salary cap so some very very difficult decisions loom there as well as team, teams all around the league so uh, I don't know about the possibilities that you have in mind but I think that maybe uh, each team will be given a mulligan or two to scrap uh, a couple of contracts or have them not count against the cap to get around these issues that we might see.
0: Yeah, I definitely think with with a two year possibility of a of a flat cap, um, there is certainly the possibility that they will uh, further look into the idea of giving a, a free buyout, essentially, um, which, you know, the players may not love. But, the, you know, when these buyouts happen, you still get your money. These are this isn't the NFL. Uh, these are all fully guaranteed contracts. That, that's the one unique thing about the NHL. Compared to the other uh, major sports is all of all of the money in all these contracts is, is guaranteed. So they'll at least still get their money. You know, the other th- part about it, Paul, to your point, uh, is keeping guys together to try and win. You know, we're going to talk about the Rangers first here and just taking a quick look at, at their group here. They only have four players under con- or four forwards rather under contract uh, following the twenty one twenty two season or heading into that season, rather. So there's so many contracts that have to be figured out. There's a bunch for next year. There's four RFAs already for 21-22. So there really is going to make it, as you said, really difficult. And I think the fact that they're talking about a flat cap in the year beyond this season is going to really further depress the market this year in terms of the free agents because we had talked repeatedly about... Does a guy like Taylor Hall take a one-year deal to make a little bit less money, but then he can cash in when the cap goes up? Well, now it's two years to not make that much money. Do you want to do one-year contracts twice in a row? To you know, it just doesn't make sense. I I don't think for the player really. So I think we're going to see guys maybe willing to take term over, uh, you know, value and and take some depressed contracts here. All
1: right. Well, why don't you give uh, our our listeners that weekly reminder to to reach out to us
0: yeah absolutely if, uh as we always do if you have questions about hockey um if you have questions about baseball you can talk to paul if you have soccer questions i'll interact with you um you know any type of hockey obviously we'll we'll dive in on twitter with you we're happy to join in uh, as paul mentioned you can follow me at AJ two 24 and you can follow Paul, the Statsman, at Statsman22. All right. And with that, we'll dive in, right? Excellent. Uh, let's absolutely. head into the, the cap series here. And we start with the New York Rangers this week. Um, you know, Again, looking at these situations in the flat cap kind of assumption that we've been in, the Rangers have eight forwards, five defensemen, and two goaltenders under contract next season coming in at uh, about $59.5 million. But look, this club has some buyout money lingering over them, and that's Dan Girardi, Ryan Spooner, Kevin Shattenkirk, and that's a total of about just under $7.5 million. That's a lot of money to be paying guys to not play for your team. Uh, I think Girardi is the only one of those guys that's retired at this point. Shattenkirk, as we know, is with the Lightning, so uh, it's really – a tough spot for the Rangers there, so assuming this $81.5 million cap uh, leaves the club with about $14.3 million remaining and eight spots to fill under the 23-man roster, and that money is going to go quick, in my opinion. They've got five restricted free agents to talk about right off the hop, and that's Ryan Strom, Brendan Lemieux, Phil DiGuseppe, Anthony D'Angelo, and Alexander Georgiev. Uh, the easiest decisions here are Giuseppe and Lemieux. Both, uh, you know, maybe you give them just a little bit more than their qualifying offers on two to three years. I think they're, they're valuable guys, bottom six contributors. So that's why I would go just above a qualifying offer. But certainly, as we've said, with a depressed uh, market, maybe they'll be happy enough for, for the qualifying offers. You look at Strom and D'Angelo. These are a pair of guys coming off career years for both of them topping the 50 point mark for the first time, uh, I think the team will have enough money to get them in there. You know, you look at D'Angelo, uh, I thought a kind of bridge deal for him would make a lot of sense, kind of protects the organization in case this last season was a fluke um, and allows him to cash in on another contract sooner. So I slotted him in a two year, $10 million contract. Is uh, on par with what Zach Werenski of Columbus signed back in September of 2019. I think for Strom, you're not going to see as much of an uptick in pay, um, just because you know the the defender, the offensively minded defender, uh, is something you need to lock in a, a little bit more. But I do think Strom will still earn above what he did this last year, which was 3.1. The contract I thought made sense here was Boone Jenner, a four-year, $15 million deal, and I figure that's about what Strom could expect as well. Uh, I I think it'll be just under $4 million, so maybe 3.9 is is what I targeted here. Uh, Look, this team is in a situation where they may have to consider carrying all three netminders heading into the year, It doesn't make a lot of sense, and I would expect something will change before we get to opening night. Um, But in terms of contracts here for Georgiev, I think a one-year deal kicks the can down the road a little bit, allows them some flexibility on what to do. I think they're going to be hard pressed to convince them to take a two way contract. So that's going to make things, you know, further complicated here. Um, and they may at the end of the day have to look uh, at a trade heading into this season or some other thing, because you're just not going to carry three goaltenders on a 23 man roster. So some tough decisions, Paul, um, do you think, uh, my two for you, do you think D'Angelo is worth 5 million a year for, for two seasons? Uh, And then what do you do with Alexander Georgiev and the rest of that goaltender group?
1: Well, I think you hit it on the the head there. Anthony D'Angelo's negotiation is going to be the key one uh, for this club. He's coming off the entry level of 925,000, but you said it right. He had a career year last year, and he's proven to be the guy that's going to carry the mail based on that that, uh, performance to date in his young career. And uh, many expected Truba uh, to carry the load. $8 million on that deal over the next five years, five or six years looks a little bit daunting. But D'Angelo, uh, I don't know if he's going to cost quite that much. If they go on a short-term deal, I think they might get him for a little bit less than you're suggesting. The problem here, it's a good problem with the Rangers. Their rebuild has gone much better and much faster th- than many expected. they uh, They all of a sudden have turned things around to become a pretty darn good team a much faster than uh, remember it wasn't so long ago they wrote a letter to their season ticket holders said saying they're going there's gonna be a tough tough road ahead of us it's much the same as what happened with toronto and their rebuild went faster than expected so this is kind of the penalty if you want to call it i'll uh, use air quotes a penalty for having that rebuild go so well so quickly that you have these salary cap issues strome is another guy who picked a great time to have a career year, AJ, coming off that $3.1 million cap hit. I think you're in the neighborhood, you're in the right neighborhood there. He's, he's going to have to resign. And they're, they're, they, I don't see them getting him for much less than $4 million a year. So uh, that's the number that I had in mind for his deal Uh, Brendan Lemieux I I like the role that this guy has filled with the Rangers he is the super pest that seems like every team has has one every good team has one in tow and this guy figures to be that guy in in new york and uh, if he fills that role i think he is going to be a bargain if they can get him at anything less than one and a half million on a short-term bridge deal over the next couple of seasons too so quickly that fourteen million dollars that you talked about gets eaten up and we haven't even gone to the elephant in the room here with the goalie situation and georgiev you know, he and Shusterkin are the guys that they're pinning their hopes on for the foreseeable future. Come, both coming into their age 25 season, and both coming off entry-level contracts uh, in the next couple of years. And uh, the guy in behind them is the king at a, entering his age 39 year campaign. Henrik Lundqvist has one more year on that 8.5 million dollar hit and uh, they got to find a way to move that to give themselves some flexibility otherwise they're going to be shoehorning the rest of this the this team together in terms of the contracts that that remain to be signed.
0: Yeah you almost wonder if the Rangers are the one team in the league that wishes Seattle was coming in this year (laughs) and could take him now um, and get him get him off the books but um, yeah it, there's some tough choices there uh, in terms of the net mining and uh, you know restricted or unrestricted free agents there's not as many uh, tough calls here they've got Jasper Fast Michael Haley Matt Beleski, and Greg McKegg look Beleski was buried in the minors all year long so that's a pretty clear indication they're not going to keep him around McKegg and Haley are kind of fringe NHL guys that I would re-up to two-way deals so they can either come up when you need help or they can kind of lead the way uh, in Hartford with their minor league system. So really, it just comes down to, to fast here and, and how to fit him in. I think the, the best comparable for him, uh, I found, was a three-year, $8.55 million contract signed by Matt Calvert uh, of uh, the Avalanche in, in July of 2018. I think that's a good kind of marker uh, Fast has hit the 30-point mark twice, so I think he'll be slightly above Calvert, and so I saw him coming in at about a three-year, $9 million deal. So again, uh, that $14 million going really quick. Uh, Paul, is that a, a a reasonable deal for Jasper Fast, or uh, do you think he needs more or less? Where do you land on him?
1: I think the ownership would love to get him for less, AJ, and I think they're going to try. This is going to be a I think this is going to be a difficult negotiation if he holds fast around that three, pardon the pun, if he holds steady on that three-year <laughs> nine million dollar. Figure that that you're quoting. That's not going to sit well with ranger management. I think they'd like to split the difference between that and the 1.8 to give themselves some roster flexibility. The other guys that you mentioned are more like placeholders, and so if they don't get them resigned, it'll be similar uh, figures among the 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 heap of of UFAs that are out there in the open market. So uh, whether it be McKeg or Haley or insert another name here they're not going to get much more than the 750 to 800 thousand dollar range fast is the tricky one here and uh, I think it could be the most difficult negotiation really given even more than some of the RFA situations that we discussed earlier
0: yeah definitely uh you know one to watch there in terms of minor leaguers who played in an NHL game last year you're looking at Stephen Fogarty and Boo Neves uh, both of these guys, I think, could be your easy replacement if you need to for Haley McKeg, you know, for for fitting them in if, if it doesn't work out with those guys. But um, I'll kind of brush over the, the free agents. I think Nivs will get his qualifying offer and Fogo Lee will get maybe a modest pay bump on a, on a two-way deal. So in terms of just diving right into the final thoughts, look, as we've said, that $14 million in cap space goes really quick. And with the deals I outlined for guys like D'Angelo and Fast, um, I still had to come up with creative ways um, to make the, the contract number numbers work. I suggested that the the path of, quote, least resistance would be to buy out the last year of Mark Stahl's contract. This guy was a, an occasional healthy scratch down, down the stretch last season. He's still a quality shutdown defender, in my opinion, but not... A 5.7 million dollar you know uh, level caliber player so a buyout would give them about 3.5 million in terms of cap space you know the alternative option and a decision that really if they don't make it now they're pushing it off for another year and that is to part ways with Henrik Lundqvist They know they have their netminder of the future. I don't think they know if it's Georgiev or Shisterkin, but they're pretty confident, and I would be too, um, that one of those two guys will at least work out. I don't know exactly how they can make it work, um, but finding a way to maybe leverage Lundquist as part of that expansion draft next year, um, I think would be a good fit. You know, we saw what Vegas did with Marc Andre Fleury. I think Lundqvist would be a phenomenal face of the franchise for another two years or so, even even at his you know quote unquote advanced age. Um, so those are kind of the options that I see. Like I said, the easiest one for me was to buy out Mark Stall's contract and, and save some money there. I don't love the depth of their system in terms of of uh, young. Blue liners that could come in and, and step in. Uh, obviously, my favorite would be Keandre Miller, the University of Wisconsin product, Go Badgers um so we'll see what they do there but Paul what do you think a buyout from Mark Stahl is is that the way to go here
1: well we've seen them part company with other contracts as you mentioned so it's something that they seem to have an appetite for and if it gives them that flexibility I could certainly see them going down that road and that that's the guy that makes the most sense you mentioned a couple of non-roster players let me throw one more name in there and that's Vinny Lettieri another guy who uh, got a cup of coffee with the club over his uh, entry level situation and uh, he was something of a bit of a fan favor weirdly enough and uh, Boo Nieves you mentioned him in passing too there are two names that I think will be part of the mix going forward and re-upping them for something in the neighborhood of eight hundred thousand dollars should give them flexibility to get other other things done but I, I think the most interesting call clearly surrounds Henrik Lundqvist and he may want to call Mark andre Fleury to see how that's gone for him in uh, in Vegas to make him feel better about uh, giving up the ghost in New York and allowing uh, things to move so that he can part company and give them that real big f- roster flexibility going down the road. But you got to think that's not going to come cheap. And, and a Seattle expansion club is going to make for uh, a very big payday in terms of what they take on. Uh, for Lundquist they're going to have to be compensated in other ways. So that will be the signature moment for the Rangers uh, this offseason. I think what happens to the King is going to be front page news there.
0: Absolutely. Well, Paul, if we're going in order, we would jump to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you want to do the Leafs now or should we save the best for last? Your call, buddy.
1: I think I think we're going to go with the Leafs now. I'm I'm raring to go and I can't wait to get into this. I've been waiting for weeks, man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I gave you a bit of a preview of what I think might happen with this club. Uh, but I'm really anxious to see how you break it down, because this is another team that really faces a cap crunch like uh, several other clubs so uh, I'm curious to see what you and Kyle have come up with
0: absolutely well uh, looking at the Leafs you've got nine forwards six defensemen two goaltenders under contract for next season coming in at 75.7 million uh, as you know Leafs fans and, and many of our listeners will know this is a club that has three guys making over 10 million in terms of uh, AAV so the money uh, goes. Goes fast, uh, even at eighty-one and a half million. Let's not forget, as I love to remind you, Paul, and uh, is my favorite topic. Uh, the Maple Leafs are still on the hook for one point two million of <laughs> Phil Kessel's retained salary. Thank you for the Stanley Cups on that one. Um, they're paying him to keep playing down in Arizona for a couple more seasons. Looks like uh, two more years on the hook uh, with Phil there. So all of that leaves the club. With only four and a half million dollars and six spots to fill under the twenty-three man roster, so as you can uh, see, there is uh, not a lot of money to go around here. Uh, there, we start with the restricted free agents. It's a group of four here. Uh, you've got uh, Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, I'm sure I pronounced that incorrectly, Paul. I'll let you correct me in a bit. Dennis Malgin, Freddie uh, Gauthier. Uh, and then Travis Dermott in the group here. Malgin was acquired in a minor league swap uh, earlier in the season, didn't offer much. So I think a qualifying offer here uh, handles that. Gautier uh, has kind of cemented himself as a, as a fourth line mainstay. And, and you know, he did play 60 plus games in, in each of the last two seasons. So, I don't think he'll command a significant pay raise, right around eight hundred thousand in terms of AAV. Um, but I think you know they'll probably maybe get some term on him, two to three years. I think would be fair. I think he's a quality guy to have in that role, at least from what what I've seen on the ice. You know, before uh, the wrist injury in late December, Mikheyev was on a rolling in his rookie campaign, twenty three points in thirty nine games. Think the injury will still cost him uh, a significant amount of money here, but uh, I, I thought this extension for Pierre Engvall uh, that was signed in February, two years, two point five million annual, uh, and I would set that about his floor really, um, or two point two five million overall, not annual, and I think that's about his floor. Uh, maybe he'll come in one one point five right around there is what I figured, and then finally we get to Dermot. And again, you know, I always like to try and find comparable contracts as much as possible. in Vancouver's uh, Troy Stecher, I thought, was uh, the the best uh, option here. Dermott hasn't topped the 20-point mark at any point uh, in his career, something Stetcher has done. And then, uh, you know, so Stetcher signed a two-year, $4.65 million contract. I think you take a little bit of AAV off of that um, and you get, uh, you know, Dermot in around 2.1. And I think that's about a fair market value. Whether you can fit, where you can fit that in under the cap is pretty tough. Um, we'll get into that some more, obviously. But, what do you think, Paul? You know, uh, obviously Dermot on the blue line, I think is probably the biggest pay uh, grade here. But uh, what about Mikheyev?
1: I think Mikheyev. You you give a really good analysis of where he fits in, and and the Engval contract is kind of a bit of a barometer. I'll call that the floor too. And if they can get uh, Mikheyev in there, somewhere between one point two five and one point five. Every every dollar saved is a dollar that they'll spend elsewhere. So I think it'll be somewhere in that range for for Mikheyev and on a two-year deal. He proved that he could be a top-six guy he, here, but they just haven't got a lot of money to go around. And uh, he saw how they treated. Uh, mikhayev when he was uh, w- was hurt, and I think that 's going to resonate with him to give the team a bit of a break. They really looked after this guy when he had went down with that serious injury, and I think they built up some loyalty and, and that could be turned into some capital that uh, that will help them out in this circumstance. I looked internally for the comparable for Travis Dermott, and I came upon Justin Hall. Certainly, uh, the most improved Maple Leaf last year, and five years older than Dermott in terms of uh, the calendar and his birth certificate. But they're both guys that will vie for uh, minutes on uh, in different situations. Maybe some special teams work on the, in the shorthanded stuff, and and definitely be in contention for ten, contention for second pairing time in their roster and uh hall got signed for three years at two point two point zero million two million flat actually uh for the next three years i think that would be something they would love to get dermot down for uh, in the same term so that to me is a direct comparable but uh, there is a guy in the minors that they also signed aj and i'll bring up that name uh, here, Miko Lehtonen is a guy that they signed for $925,000, who will factor into the defensive structure of this team. He was uh, the top defenseman in the KHL this past season, and getting him for $925,000 is going to be significant in terms of the lay of the land here with the, the roster situation that the Leafs have. So that's a bit of a wild card on the blue line that I uncovered that could help them out big time.
0: Yeah, I think the other you know, interesting thing that I, I just noticed looking uh, at this group here is you've got Callie Rosen, Martin Merrinson, and Justin Hole all on one-way deals. So if they uh, do have to, and they probably will, let's be honest, in my opinion, um, they probably will have to move at least one of those guys, if not more, down to the minors, and that will expose them to waivers. So it'll be interesting to see if somebody takes a look at one of those guys. In terms of the unrestricted free agents, it's a pretty big group here. Although two of them are technicalities, so you've got Kyle Clifford, Jason Spezza, you got Cody Ceci, Tyson Berry, and then the two guys that I said are technicalities. You know, we want to talk about all the players listed in terms of free agents, and that's Nathan Horton and David Clarkson. Both those guys have spent the last couple of seasons on long-term IR. There isn't a decision here; their contracts are just officially up and off the books, uh, in terms of actual dollars that the, that the club has to pay Clifford for, for my part, I think is a solid veteran and depth player to have for a playoff run, but I don't really foresee a situation in which he wasn't going to be a rental for this club. Uh, he was making 1.6 overall, uh, half of that salary had to be retained just to fit him in this year. Uh, which is the max. As I understand, I believe a retained salary can only be 50 percent here. So you're not going to get Kyle Clifford for eight hundred thousand dollars like they're paying him right now. So unfortunately, uh, I think he's gone. Uh, You know, in terms of uh, Jason Spezza limited to just 58 games this year, but he still hit the 25 point mark for what was the 15th time in a 17 year NHL career. I think if he's willing to come back for another one of these veteran minimum deals, certainly a player you would like to have in, in the locker room, even at 38 years of age. What more can you ask of, of a bottom six guy than 20 to 25 points? I think that's solid as long as he's not demanding too much money. And I wouldn't expect him to, to, to be totally um, honest. You know, Barry, as we've talked about, Paul, you've said, you know, Barry has pretty much already shut the door on making any sort of return to Toronto. So that really just leaves, as far as consideration, Cody Ceci, uh, just eight points uh, this year. But the first for the first time in the last four years, he had a positive plus minus rating playing on a better team. Imagine what happens when you get out of Ottawa. <laughs> um, still, this is a guy that is not worth four point five million dollars that they were paying him this season. And uh, I think he should be allowed to hit the open market. I mean, you're talking about the cap crunch so bad. I'm not sure they could even convince CC or fit CC under uh, the, the cap here if they cut his pay in half, which I don't expect him to be willing to take a 50% pay cut. So I just don't see how that fits. So really, uh, Paul, for the four guys that are really options here, the only one I see coming back is Jason Spezza. Um, am I crazy? Can you make a case for somebody else here?
1: Well, uh, I think Spezza has F- a lock to return. He's all but said that he's willing to come back. And uh, look, he's made his money in his career. So he'll come back for the same 700 or so. Uh, so that's pretty much a done deal. Kyle Clifford, to me, is not uh, as cut and dry as you might suggest. I think it's contingent on what happens to uh, a trio of forwards that we'll get into later. But he's also expressed an interest in extending his career. He said it was a dream to come back to Toronto. And how much of a pay cut would he take to make that dream happen? That remains to be seen. But it could be tied to the uh, the future of one of three other forwards on this team that we'll talk about as we wind things up in the discussion of this club. But uh, they lost a bit of flexibility with the... uh, long-term injury reserve on Clarkson and Horton, and I wonder if they take on an injured player from somewhere else to see if they can get some flexibility uh, going forward. That might might be another move that you look at. The Leafs are a team that throws money around almost as as willingly as anybody, maybe more so even, and so that's another circumstance where you might see them taking on a a certain situation similar to those two to get that kind of flexibility within this cap system. So another bit of a wild card here with the Toronto outlook
0: well and then in terms of the the minor league free agents who who got into a game you've got uh pontus aberg kevin gravel and casimir Kasuko uh, uh again i apologize for, for getting that incorrect i don't watch enough uh ahl toronto games to to have that one down um you know you look at aberg only five of his 132 nhl games have been played with the maple leafs and this is his fifth organization in the last four years, which uh, says something about that. So does Paul's nickname for him as Pointless Aberg. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think he, this is a guy that should be happy to sign a qualifying offer that would let him stay with one club um, for more than just a season in terms of gravel. And Casaso, uh these are guys that you'd love to have back in your organization for two-way deals on, on minimal raises. Um, but I think in terms of, of the netminder here, he may not want to come back. There is a very clear barrier to getting NHL games for him after they uh, acquired Jack Campbell, uh, who is very clearly going to be the backup to Freddie Anderson, barring something outrageous happening uh, during training camp. So uh, I think, you know, you would like to keep both those guys around as, as far as depth, but I don't think there's there's really any reason to overpay them if they're going to command more money, Paul, uh, what do you think about this group or, or any other guys that might be factors here?
1: Well, um, let me let me begin by naming another uh, KHL import, Alex Alexander Barabanov. He's also his future is also going to be linked to some of those forwards that we can talk about now. Uh, he signed an entry level deal for nine hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. Another guy entering his age 26, 27 years with with uh, the NHL as he makes his maiden voyage with the Maple Leafs, and I think he's another guy that's going to push for playing time. And if you saw what happened with Engvall and Mikheyev, they're hoping for the same thing with Barabanov to get him on the cheap. And that makes for me, Freddie Gauthier, uh, should be a little bit nervous about his job with the club. I don't think it's as safe and secure as you might have outlined, AJ. There's a real threat here that. That uh, this guy could take that spot uh, from him. And then you mentioned Kaskasuo. His pl- uh, path to the NHL in Toronto is kind of blocked at the NHL level but also they have two other prospects in Ian Scott and Joseph Wall who are highly regarded. Uh, age, age 21 uh, coming into their age 22 seasons they're both locked up in their entry level deals for the next season or, or two in, in Scott's case so I don't think that Kaskasuo makes any sense to retain him uh, so I could see him uh, be opting out. Pontus Aberg is an interesting one for me because he had such a, a great year with the Marlies last year and, and the Leafs do like to have good leadership down there and maybe that's a role that he's going to fulfill and should be happy to take on you mentioned he's bounced bounced around the nhl and as a bit of an insurance policy he might not find a better situation than what he has here in toronto another name to look at among the minor league forwards is adam brooks he might push for a job with the big club as well and he just he's locked up for two more years at seven hundred and twenty five thousand dollars and uh, I think you can certainly expect to see him get at least a cup of coffee with the big club this year and maybe you could put Nick Nicholas Patan in that same camp and Jeremy Bracco is the wild card for me among the uh, forwards here that had NHL aspirations he was a former second round pick and things just haven't really worked out to get him even a uh, shot at uh, a look-see and with the big club Despite the fact that he's been a very prolific scorer in the AHL, so maybe that's a carrot that gets dangled around the league in terms of trade possibilities. I think the Leafs are going to be very active this off season. Is my long, uh, short answer to the long issue that the long issues that they have here. Uh, They've got to move some pieces around to make it all fit, and it could be uh, contingent on one of the three forwards is Alexander Kerfoot locked up for 3.5 million dollars over the next three years caspery kapanen two years at 3.2 million dollars and uh so it's names like that you can look at and see in addition to one more who finished the year on the ir and he still won't play even in these playoffs if they ever take place that's andreas johan johnson who is dealing with a uh, leg injury that was to keep him out till october anyway he's on the books for 3.4 million i'm suggesting to you aj and our listeners that one of those last three names is going to be dealt give them the roster flexibility and we i've come up with a few other names that will help fill that void for a heck of a lot less money and give the team actually some roster flexibility under the cap as i see it
0: yeah i absolutely agree uh with the 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 names that you mentioned i highlighted kapanen and johnson specifically but um certainly kerfoot uh could offer more intrigue uh, around the league with his ability to play center um, so maybe there'll be more offers for him. One other possibility that I'll just throw out there—I I don't love it, but it could work—would be to trade Travis Dermott's uh, rights uh, mm-hmm. to you know another team that puts off having to make a decision on on how much to sign him for, um, and so sort to of move him as well. But I, I'll be honest—I don't love the depth from the organization in, in terms of the blue line. Um, as you mentioned, they they did add uh in and, and they've got a couple other guys that the youngsters that they added. But uh, I, I think Dermot would leave them thinner on the blue line than trading one of those three forwards would leave them in terms of their complement there. But it'll all depend on what sort of market there is out there. We'll dive in then uh, to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, this is a club that has nine forwards, four defensemen and one goaltender under contract next season coming in at just a hair under 66 million dollars a flat cap would leave them with 15.5 million and nine spots to fill on their 23-man roster the restricted free agent group is uh, a couple of guys trying to break into the league for the most part nobody has a ton of experience and that's jack Roslavic uh, Jansen Harkins, Mason Appleton, and Sammy niku Um, you know, the, all four of these guys, I think are going to be strong contenders for spots on the 23 man roster heading into next season. But I really only see Roslavic as the only one that'll really get more than his qualifying offer. Harkins and Niku both played less than 30 games this past season, logged pretty minimal ice times when they were in the lineup. Uh, and then Appleton, he did play in 46 games, but had just eight points to show for it. And I don't think that's going to be enough to earn him a big contract here. I think if the league doesn't go uh, on hiatus, Roslavic probably would have reached the 30-point mark. In addition to setting a, a career high already in goals with 12, I think he's capable of getting closer to a $1 million deal uh on you know two one million a year for for two to three years i think is is where i would land for him um paul i guess the question is do you think any anybody else deserves more than a qualifying offer here or is Lo- really the only one that's going to see a big pay bump
1: i think they would have liked to have appleton in that camp but he just hasn't performed to the level as you suggested he he might he was highly regarded earlier on in his career and hasn't really delivered to date. Roslovit, though, he's made the case to be even inserted in top six minutes from time to time in his early time in Winnipeg. So I think he certainly merits a, a significant raise over the $900,000. Maybe you can see him almost doubling that if if they go a little bit longer term and lock him up. But uh, that's the range that I see, the high end of the range that I see even for him. Harkins, you mentioned the case. He, he should be a guy that should be able to re-up for a negligible negligible bump but Niku might also be a guy who goes a little bit more than the qualifying offer because defense and the right-handed shot that's the holy grail among uh, NHL general managers they like to secure those guys just because the quality and quantity uh, are not very high around the league so Niku might have that going for him uh, in in the defensive depth chart of the Winnipeg Jets which a year ago from now was a real mess and they've done a nice job straightening it out in my opinion.
0: Well, then we get to the unrestricted free agents, and this is a huge group for Winnipeg. You've got 11 guys showing up on this list, and so I'm um, going to change it up just a little here, Paul. Hopefully, you can roll with me here. We'll take the forwards first, then we'll talk about the blue line and uh, the one netminder here as well. So the forward group, Cody Eakin, Nick Shore, Logan Shaw, Mark Latestu, and Gabriel Bork, uh, you know, I think the biggest question for them is honestly not any of these guys, but it's whether or not Brian Little will be able to to come back at any point. You know, he had that ear injury this season that led to, um, you know, some additional issues. And I think that's why they went after Cody Eakin, uh, you know, for the, the postseason and the, the end of the year in terms to shore up that, that middle of the lineup. I don't necessarily... Think they need to pay, you know, four million uh, a year for a guy that would potentially slide down to being your third uh, center option if, if Little is in fact healthy and available. So a lot of questions are going to surround, uh, you know, Brian Little. I think if they do let Cody Eakin walk, I think that's going to mandate, really, to, to me that they need to keep a player like Nick Shore uh, around until a slight bump in pay. Uh, and maybe a little bit more term I, I saw a two-year 1.6 million dollar deal um, and then because you keep sure they can let Letestu go who's kind of a, a 35 year old veteran you know if he does he want to keep playing at this point yeah I think there's some questions there so there's so many decisions around the center position um, that if this guy can play then this guy can go then sign this guy it's It's a little bit uh, difficult there and then at this point i think if shaw and bork are willing to sign two-way contracts then they're worth keeping around um, because i think they're kind of fringe nhl guys with Roslavic and appleton pushing for more opportunities i don't see a a real clear every night spot on the 23-man roster for either of those guys so i think it has to be two-way deals for them paul uh, I think the biggest question is Cody Eakin. What do you think in terms of the forward group here? Is Cody Ekim worth keeping around?
1: Well, look at what he did last year, AJ. He toiled in a total of 49 games. He compiled 15 points. That's not worth the money that he was being paid. So uh, I'd be inclined to say if he's not rehabbed and not looking good in the early part of their training camp, they would certainly. I would certainly expect them to part company, part ways with him. Maybe they've got a book on him already that they don't even need to make that call as late as the training camp. But uh, I think that's going to be a late call on him, and it'll be, it's predicated on the fact that, as you outlined, they have some flexibility with guys that are a lot cheaper to fill that role in a bottom six situation. You mentioned Shore, you mentioned Shaw and Letestu. All those guys are veteran players that they can command no more than a million dollars so there's a big savings there on the Eakin situation maybe they look outside the organization and dabble into free agency they have they may have a little bit of excess capacity that a lot of other teams don't have and so that's why I think I pivot away from the Eakin situation just because of uh, the concerns that I have about that contract and the return that they
0: didn't get last season. Then we'll talk about blue line and netminding here. Uh, the rest of our unrestricted free agent group is made up of Dmitry Kulikov, Nathan Boyle, Dylan DeMello, Lucas Pisa, Anthony Bieto, and then in the Nets, Laurent Brossois. Uh, I think the priority here has to be DeMello, who's a solid shutdown defender, and then he can chip in offensively from time to time. Uh, the comparable contract I, I saw for him, was the two year five point seven million dollar deal that Jake McCabe uh signed in, in August of twenty nineteen. I think that's a fair offer for DeMello, given their kind of relatively uh you know similar skill sets and, and abilities there. Uh and by keeping DeMello, I think you can move on from Kulikov, who uh frankly is overpaid at at four point three million uh for, for what he offers Um, on the ice in my opinion maybe if he's willing to take a a significant haircut on in terms of uh, salary you would make a different decision but uh, I think that also allows you to go with Lucas Pisa who I think is about the same level of of production here and uh, you know defensive capability and will save you significantly significantly more money um, in in terms of a contract so uh, that's kind of where I go with those guys. And then whether or not you go with Boilo uh, depends on how they feel about Sammy Niku, Tucker Poolman, Vili uh, Hainola, uh, some youngsters that they have pushing for more ice time. I think as long as at least one of those guys is considered NHL ready, then Boilo can, you know, won't need to be resigned. And then in the nets, I don't really see any reason to go out and, and move away from Laurent Boursois yeah, his his record was middling at, at six, seven, and one, and a point eight nine five save percentage in nineteen appearances. But you've got a guy in Connor Hellubuck who's going to push for playing close to you know sixty five games every year, and then you know you, you've got some offensive firepower that can help bail you out a couple of times when Brassois is in the nets. I just going outside of the organization to get a guy who's going to play twenty games a year just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so I think bringing back Brassois, um, I pegged a, a three-year, $4.5 million deal, gives him security without paying him significantly more. So, Paul, uh, what do you make of this blue line situation?
1: Well, I think you're right. Just as I would pivot away from Eken, uh, I like your call on Kulikov. He's just not giving them the uh, numbers on the ice. He's heading into his age 30 season, uh, coming off a year where he was really subpar uh, in terms of the overall game and i like the fact that they've got enough other options there to save that money and maybe spend it around the roster sprinkling it uh on uh, laurent brossois and the need to re-up him anthony bitetto is another guy that you mentioned factors in in terms of an experienced blue liner who will come in on the cheap the same can be said for de and beaulieu uh, you're talking about three guys that you might be able to lock up for the four million three uh, that uh, they will have not spent on a guy like Kulikov so they have some flexibility on the blue line to to put together seven guys uh, really on the cheap who have the NHL experience and and uh, will produce a decent defensive formation when you consider it's being led by Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk who are emerging defenders in uh, really in the early stages of their careers in their mid-20s who are locked up for reasonable amounts of money. Uh, Morrissey a little bit maybe overpaid at 6.2 over several years, but I think he's going to be there for a long while. Got the A A on his sweater to lead that group. So all in all, I think pivoting from Kulikov gives them that flexibility to sprinkle that money around and uh take care of business on the back end and then that's great call by you laurent brossois if you don't sign him for 1.5 million dollars you're going to need a guy that plays 20 games and you're going to go outside the organization to get uh brossois version 2.0 so better the devil you know i say sign this guy up he's not going to find a, a team that's going to pay him three million dollars so he might be saying if he likes it in winnipeg why not so uh Pure, purely a quick decision that makes a lot of sense
0: to me in the nets there well and the, the minor league guys are uh that need new contracts are andre shibisov and cj seuss these are guys that had decent ahl seasons but they had combined for just three nhl games um with the jets so i don't really foresee them getting anything more then their qualifying offer unless the team wants to sign one of them to an additional year of term. So uh, we'll kind of jump over that, you know, with uh, with letting those guys go as, as Paul and I have both kind of landed on in, in terms of both Cody Eakin uh, and uh, Dmitry Kulikov, plus the other deals that we talked about, I think could leave this team with upwards of about five million dollars in cap space, and I think the biggest thing, in my opinion, that they should look at doing uh, is to find a top four blue liner that they can partner up with Neil Pionk and, and get him some uh, you know some help there. A couple of free agent candidates that I think could come in for you know less than that five million dollar mark are T.J. Brody, Cody Cece, who we talked about the Leafs letting go, or Sammy and. Uh, I think any one of those guys would be a solid, uh, you know, s- uh, fourth blue liner for them, uh, and they probably wouldn't have to spend, you know, even if they had to spend all of the five million they have it. I don't think they necessarily need to. The other thing they could look at is just filling out um, with some minor league guys, guys on one year deals, because uh, following next season they are going to have to give Patrick Line a a new deal, and that's going to be. A tough negotiation, I imagine, and uh, especially now that we know that there's going to be a flat cap for one more season beyond this one, uh, I think makes that even trickier. Maybe they're better off not committing any of that money uh, beyond just one year here so uh, Paul what do you think about them going after a guy like Brody or CeCe uh, on the free agent market?
1: I'd like to see them do that because they got a pretty cheap defense as it is AJ so they can go ahead and try and take a big swing on a guy that a lot of other teams won't be able to bid on so you might be able to get the best of the rest uh, of the available defensemen in free agency for a lot less than you might otherwise have expected. And uh, you mentioned Vili Hainola as a guy in their minor league system. He's just turning into an age 20 season uh, and, and on the verge of a three year, $925,000 cap hit over that term. Yeah, there's a guy that they can pin some of their future hopes on. So it's just another cheap option on the back end to comp- be complemented by a free agent possibility, as you su- suggested. And I think that the teams that have that excess capacity can really make out like bandits in free agency this year, and we might we might put Winnipeg in that camp with the moves that we suggested.
0: Well, that rounds out uh, our three teams this week. So looking ahead um, with how we covered and, and which teams that we already did, I, I proposed the poll that we would either a finish up the Pacific or B take a look at the Metro. Uh, It looks like the voters are going to and I think you guys are trolling me if I'm being perfectly honest, because we're going to do the Pacific (laughs) first, which means we're pushing off the penguins until the last week of this series. Now, I I guess I should have picked a different way to format how we did this. But um, anyway, so we will do the Pacific. I don't have specific days that those articles will come out. We'll get one of them done today for sure. um, But because we're going to be doing four in a week, I can't give you specific dates as to which days yet it'll come out, but I would imagine possibly Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Bank One for Saturday is is the potential there. So, Paul, we got two more weeks of of articles for us to talk about, uh, and then we can get into some other stuff. I did just see that Los Angeles is out as a potential hub city candidate, so we're down to just four Edmonton, Toronto, las vegas and chicago uh paul your suggestions getting even closer here
1: you know what i'm optimistic and just hearing that people are talking about hockey and and the possibility of, of resumption I'm, I'm getting excited aj and the european soccer experience has really given me hope and reason for optimism the the uh, restart is is very likely to go well in toronto i'm a little nervous about the u.s cities that are still in the running particularly las vegas aj i i think they've opened up with with too much of a burst there and there there's been some blowback in terms of the number of instances but i still think that they have the inside track i called those two cities at the outset of this process and i am looking good i should have bet on this i don't know why i didn't but (laughs) anyway the big news now we're going to do our 2005 NHL draft, and I'm going to propose a trade for, for you for that top pick that you covet so much. How about this? If I give you the first pick, I'd like the next two.
0: That seems fair to me because uh, the first player... Uh, in this group, is is significantly better than the rest. And so I'll just do it. I'll start us off, Paul. I'll take Sidney Crosby off the board for you. First overall by the Penguins. First overall in our hearts. And uh, we'll lead my team through. Well, I, I'm not shocked
1: at that pick, but I couldn't make that pick knowing in good conscience how how much of a supporter you are of Sid the Kid. I'm a big fan too, but not on your level. And, and I felt it would be cruel to have you hear me <laughs> say, Paul Bruno selects Sidney Crosby. So with that, I'm going to take the next two forwards off the big board, they combined for more points than Sid, the kid who has 1,263. My two guys combined for 1,676 points. The forward position in this draft, AJ, is a little on the thin side. So I'm happy to take on Anze Kopitar and Paul Stastny to lock down my center position with the next two picks.
0: Well, I, I need a, a guy to go with, with Sid here. And I think there's no better person to put him... Uh, then the guy who was picked dead last in this draft in the 7th round 230th overall and that's Patrick Hornquist talk about a guy that played his way into the league 770 games 238 goals many of them playing alongside Crosby and so I will keep the two of them together with uh, Patrick Hornquist
1: All right and uh, this is this is a draft that was loaded in the net so I'm going to put that decision uh punt that decision for a little bit and continue to draft some players here that might otherwise make sense for me um would it be a shot across the bow if i took chris Latang at this point i think he's the best defenseman in this class aj and i hate to do this to you but uh, i'm a little bit concerned about uh letting him go and then seeing you pick an all penguins team so i'm going to pick chris Latang with my next choice <laughs>
0: Well, uh, I will actually stick uh with uh, at least former penguins at this point and and the guy with the third most goals uh, of of this draft that's James Neal selected by Dallas uh, in the second round back then two hundred and eighty nine goals. And that puts him behind Crosby and Kopitar in the goal group. So I've got Sid and some of his uh, former buddies back together.
1: Yeah, I see this is going to be an all-Pittsburgh lineup for you, maybe. (laughs) Holy cow, good start. Uh, Up next, I'm going to go with the St. Louis Blues pick, 24th overall in this draft. He's now playing with the Washington Capitals with a guy that I'm going to select number one next week. I won't tell you who that is right now. But T.J. Oshie is the pick that I'm going to make to uh, round up my fourth round
0: well you did mention the the blue liners here and there's some definitely some uh intriguing options i'm gonna skip over uh keith yandel and and maybe again some penguins bias here but i'm gonna go with matt niskanen uh he has uh 949 games another player drafted by dallas in the first round here uh won the stanley cup a couple of times including uh with with the capitals and i i love his cannon of a shot from the blue line uh and so i will go with maddie niskanen
1: all right uh so that means what direction should i take now i think i'm going to take keith yandel he's the top scoring defenseman in this class so i've got the top two scoring defensemen in the class overall with him and Latang, the only guys over 500 points and i'm happy to grab him as one of the more underrated offensive defensemen in the game today
0: well i'm going to make my first pick of a guy who didn't play for pittsburgh at any point here and and that's going to be bobby ryan He was selected second overall uh, by the Anaheim Ducks. You know, he uh, was uh, awarded this year for uh, his overcoming some some struggles here and and has had a great kind of turnaround here. And so loving everything uh, about that. So Bobby Ryan, the guy for me.
1: And then there's a bit of a drop-off in the offensive uh, ranks among the forwards, A.J., but I'm going to look at the best of the rest in terms of total points. A guy that played locally here in his uh, junior career with St. Michael's Buzzers, and that's Andrew Cogliano, who also gained some fame for a long Ironman streak, and a guy who's got almost 400 points in a career that spanned over uh, uh, 1,000 games, so I'll grab him with my sixth overall draft.
0: Well, I, I, I love that call uh, and, and a quality quality center there. Look, if I was drafting this team to play right now, I would not make this next pick. But for the course of his career, uh, which has unfortunately all but come to an end due to injuries, uh, Martin Hanzo is one of the best center uh, prospects remaining here. Uh, a really quality career in which you know he had 127 goals, 211 helpers. I uh, was taken 17th overall by Phoenix, and, and I will take him to anchor my second line.
1: We've each got four picks left. Nobody's picked a goalie. I'm, uh, I'm not going to do it until we uh, for another round or so, AJ. So I'm going to give you that head start, start on your studying. But uh, I'm going to pick another defenseman just because there are more quality defenders there than forwards in this draft. So my third defenseman on this team, Mark Edward Vlasic, picked in the second round, 35th overall goes uh, in the seventh round here
0: well I think I will I will stick with the forward ranks I'm going to continue to push off the the decision here um and I think I'm going to go uh with uh, Detroit's Justin Abdelkader uh 739 games uh 252 points again it, it does get a little bit thin uh, as you said there's a bit of a drop off but still a quality winger to round out my two lines here
1: all right. Uh, I'm going to make one more forward pick, too, then. And uh, the best of the rest guy that was drafted by Minnesota fourth overall, Benoit Pouliot, compiled 263 points in a 625 game career. We're starting to get in so, so far back in the draft years, AJ, that we're looking at some guys who, who've completed their careers. Pouliot fits into that camp, but uh, at almost half a point per game, not a bad choice to get uh,
0: in my eighth round. Well, Paul, I know you don't like to dive the depths here. You know, you're you're you always take all the first and second round guys. So <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go back to the seventh round again and take Anton Stroman went 216th overall to your Maple Leafs uh, and has played uh, uh, 818 games. That's on the upper uh, high side of, of this group and, and is still, uh, you know, toiling away down there uh, and, and doing a good job about it. All right, AJ,
1: I'm going to go to the Nets. There are four guys in contention for the top goalie honors in this class. And I'm going to maybe spark a debate on on Twitter when we post these lineups and post this show. I'm not picking Carey Price. I'm going to pick Tuukka Rask, drafted by the Maple Leafs, 21st overall. His numbers, to me, rate at the head of the class when you consider that his win percentage was the highest. He had the lowest goals against average and the highest save percentage. Uh, 50 shutouts put him put some second in this class but overall numbers I was kind of surprised when I d- did the dive here uh, to see that it was pretty clear to me that Tuka Rask should be the top goalie rated in this draft class
0: well I will definitely disagree with you and I think Carey Price is is the uh, better netminder here available and so I will happily take him uh, to anchor it. Look, there's a reason that the players consistently uh, in their NHL PA poll consistently rate Carey Price as the guy they would want to win a series for them. This is also a guy that's gotten stuck on a Montreal Canadiens team that for uh, the last decade, I would say, has been pretty terrible and would be even worse if they didn't have one of the best net minders in the league. So um, I will overrated, happily... <laughs> overrated, overrated. <laughs> I will happily take terry price although certainly others in contention uh, were obviously jonathan quick and ben bishop
1: and in a turn from what we've done in the past aj i'm going to go too deep into the nets for my draft uh, to conclude this draft i'm going to pick jonathan quick who was in contention for the top three goalies in this class i will say so uh, uh, first time that we've had any team pick two goalies and so my tandem of rask and quick might be the best one two in the history of hockey
0: well i'm gonna do something just to do it and that's gonna to take the guy who is drafted third overall in this draft by the carolina hurricanes that's jack johnson a f- longtime uh, friend of Sidney crosby and I, you know honestly if you look at the numbers i know people are like yelling through their their car stereos or wherever they're listening it to <laughs> But uh, he has over 300 points in his career. Uh, he is, let's see, one, two, he's fifth in terms of overall points among uh, defensemen. He actually has more points than Anton Stroman, who who I just took. Uh, and so uh, I like Jack Johnson's game where it has been. Uh, obviously, he is not the best skater. But if you can pair him up with somebody that, that can move, I think he's still capable of being a quality uh, blue liner in the league
1: man this pittsburgh prejudice that you have just came (laughs) shining through today more than ever before in the history of our show i gotta say aj and you've you know you've you've made no bones about it you've you've made the case for each of the guys that you picked And I can't quarrel with them, but it's just kind of funny to me that we started with the trade for Crosby because I didn't want to see tears flowing. And I just created a a whole avalanche of Pittsburgh Penguins talk to wind down this draft. So good on you for taking the opportunity and running with it. Listen, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to wind up this uh, cap compliance series. And we want our, our listeners to know that we're going to get to talking about the NHL playoffs that we hope will take place in a couple of years a couple of weeks we're going to get clarity in that (laughs) circumstance very soon AJ but I think this is winding down in a very timely manner we're going to go two more drafts deep uh, into the history in terms of redrafting to fill up that aspect too but I think we're going to be in good shape to start uh looking at the playoffs in a couple of weeks so we want our listeners to realize that that's in the offing and uh, and they can look forward to that down the road but again great job with the compliance series and uh, i'm i'm curious to see what happens in free agency this off season because uh, some players are going to have to take deep discounts and some teams are going to really capitalize on the fact that they don't have any competition for searching for those players
0: yeah i'm i'm gonna for sure find myself as contracts come out i'm going to be circling back to every one of these articles uh, checking to see you know i i recently did that with uh the the any i've seen a couple other uh seattle things so i've checked mine and said oh how do i compare to this beat writer and, and what he thought and so i will definitely as these contracts come out uh it'll be a fun offseason to see what we got right what we got wrong hopefully nothing egregiously wrong just maybe minor tweaks but uh, we'll certainly see
1: and uh we hope that the uh our listeners have enjoyed this series of pods. We certainly have enjoyed the opportunity to bring them and talk real hockey through the summer months. And uh, in these odd days, it's uh, certainly something that I need to have in my life, at least talking about the sport. So we hope our listeners enjoy that aspect as we enjoy bringing it to them. And that's a fine place to stop for this episode, AJ. It wraps up uh, the episode of podcast for June the 30th. Uh, on podcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next episode is tentatively scheduled to take place July 7th. We hope to have news on the hub cities by then. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJ 24 As always, we invite you to listen into podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy planning and research. So long, everybody.